You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. 2 Samuel 16, in verse 15 of chapter 16, and it says, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend, speaking of David? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. So Hushai is giving Absalom a load here. And if you back it up to uh, verse 37, really, uh, that's where this aspect of the story ends. And you remember that Hushai went to David because David has fled from Absalom. He's, he's afraid. He's feeling like he's defeated, David is. Uh, but we're going to see tonight that God's providence is going to... Uh, override David's fear and it's going to override the wisdom and the plans of men even when it seems like a hopeless situation but Hushai really wanted to side with David and he went to David and he said look I want to help you and David said you're actually going to be a burden to me but here's how you can help me go back to Jerusalem and I want you to thwart the plans of Absalom and defeat the council of Ahithophel And so that's what he does, and that's where we're picking up the story with Absalom basically stabbing his father in the back, overthrowing his father's kingdom, and taking the kingdom with him. And from all accounts, and from really a human perspective, Absalom is winning. This is a done deal. This is not going well for David, and yet we're going to see the providence of God overriding that but now Hushai is going to obey his king he's going to go back to Jerusalem and he's going to try to put on his best acting and pretend like he's actually on the side of Absalom and so you've got to kind of put yourself in Hushai's shoes a little bit and think about how difficult that would be to pretend like you're actually supporting somebody else and to pretend like you're in favor of him and all the while knowing if this doesn't go well you you could be killed for this and so he goes to Absalom and and says look I want to follow you my king and gives him this whole line and and Absalom's a little bit skeptical of Hushai's allegiance and he says why wouldn't you serve my father your friend who you've served for years and he basically tells him, hey, I'm on whosever side is winning. You know, I mean, it's apparent that you are in charge here, that people are following you. I mean, you're my bro now. Forget about David. And that's kind of where that is at this point. And so we're going to read the rest of our text. And then I've got about four things that I want to talk about in relationship 
uh, to this text. And so, verse 20 of chapter 16, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, and you remember that Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. He says to Ahithophel, his counselor, Give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines. Now, Ahithophel is going right for the throat. He is a wise man. He understands how it is that David will be defeated. And he's going right for the juggler here. Here's what I want you to do, Absalom. And remember, Ahithophel hates David. And he remembers that David had taken his granddaughter and had sexual relations with her while looking at her by spying on her from his rooftop. And so now he says to Absalom, I want you to go into your father's concubines, which was the ultimate act of treason. By doing this, Absalom would have been telling David, I have no desire to ever reconcile with you. I have no desire to have relationship with you ever again. It would have been a done deal. He says, I want you to go in to your father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. In other words, Ahithophel was so well respected that when people listened to him, it was like listening to God himself. His advice, his counsel was heeded by everyone. It, when you heard from Ahithophel, you did what he said. And so was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return, except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace and the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And so Ahithophel tells Absalom, I want you to go into your father's concubines. That's exactly what he does. I think I skipped verse 22. It says they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. In everybody's sight. I mean, there was no question as to what was going on here. And so Absalom heeds the advice of Ahithophel in that way. And now Ahithophel wants to take it to the next level. Okay, you've listened to me here. Here's my next idea. I want you to allow me to have 12,000 men. We'll go and we'll pursue David tonight while he's weak, while he's backpedaling. Let's do it now. There's no time like the present. This is the time to conquer David. And initially, Absalom and the elders thought this was a great idea. And you know what? It is a phenomenal idea. If it wasn't for the providence of God, this is exactly what Absalom should have done. If he wanted to defeat David, this was the time. But we're going to see that God's providence will thwart what would be, from a human perspective, the best plan. 
And Absalom said, Now call Hushai, the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And so we're beginning to see God's hand working because there's no good reason why Absalom would want to talk to Hushai. He's already got good counsel from Ahithophel who is respected across the entire nation who's a genius. This is the plan. This is what makes sense. But now he's going to get Hushai involved, who in reality, he shouldn't even be trusting. He's not even sure if this is a guy that's on his side or not. But he calls him in. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And so Hushai, having been part of the plan of God, David praying and seeking the Lord, is given an opportunity to speak into Absalom's life when he shouldn't have been. And you guys, you need to know that even when things look really bleak, if God is in something you will have the opportunity to work it out for your favor in order to fulfill the plan of God. And this is exactly what happens with Hushai. He says, look, Ahithophel, I mean, normally his advice is really solid. But this time, don't listen to him. It's not good. For said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men. Well, I mean, he's kind of really making this into more than it is. He's really adding to what the reality is because David is older and so are his mighty men. They're not exactly in prime shape and they're not exactly warriors anymore. But Hushai is going to build them up as such. He says, look, they're mighty men and they are enraged in their minds. And they are like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. So you you can go and attack them all you want, but you won't find him. Plus, they're really ticked right now. So I don't know if this is a good idea. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit or in some other place. And so Absalom would have been remembering how David was able to flee from Saul all of those years. And he would be thinking, yeah, you know what, you're right. My dad is pretty hardcore. I mean, he's not just going to let me come in there and attack him. He was able to fend off Saul and to hide from Saul for 10 years. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that Whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. And so Hushai is really, really building this up. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you. From Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. And so Hushai does a couple things here. First of all, he buys David time. 
He says, look, I think you ought to get all of the warriors in Israel together first, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Let's get all of our men together. I mean, you don't know who you're messing with here. And Hushai knew that would take time. That wasn't going to happen overnight. This would take time to assemble all these men, and it would buy David time. The other thing he did is that he appealed to Absalom's pride and to his ego. He said, look, I think you ought to lead the way. I think you ought to get all of the warriors in Israel together and you ought to be the leader. You ought to be the one going out in front so that everybody sees that Absalom is bad. That ought to be what you do. And you can see Absalom just thinking like, yeah, this is, dude, you are smart. Why haven't I been talking to you before? And Hushai goes on to say, so we will come upon him in some place where he may be found. And we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city. And we will pull into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So they're going to overthrow Jerusalem. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Well, at least that's what God had convinced Absalom was the case. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. See, this was according to the purpose of God. God had purposed to defeat what really would be sound advice. And I don't know what's going on in your lives right now, but maybe you're looking at it and you're going, there is no way this is going to work out. There is no way that you fill in the blank is going to happen. There's no way. This this doesn't even make sense. This would be preposterous for this to happen. And yet, if God is in it, then he will make it happen for you. He had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Ahithophel, whom everybody listened to, whom everybody respected, and who also gave the better piece of advice, his advice is now being completely set aside. To the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. And so what we see is that God is for David. And he always has been. You remember when Saul was chucking spears at David and there's no good reason David should be able to survive? There's no good reason that David should have been able to continue to hide and continue to avoid death at the hands of Saul. And yet he did. Why? Because God's hand was upon him. And then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom... And the elders of Israel, and thus and so, I have advised. Now therefore, sin quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now look at where David's at. He's out in the plains. Now, I don't know if you know anything about plains, but plains means that you're out in the open. There's nowhere to hide. And for whatever reason, I don't know what's going on in David's brilliant military mind, but he's out in the open, he's left himself vulnerable to the enemy. 
And so if Hushai had listened to Ahithophel, which from a human perspective he should have, then he would have went and attacked David. They would have found him out in the middle of the plains sitting ducks and they would have absolutely crushed David. And so God's hand was clearly in this situation. Now therefore, sin quickly and tell David saying, don't spend the night there. Otherwise, you will be swallowed up. And Jonathan and Ahimeaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. And so this was the lines of communication of how this would get to David. And they didn't want to be seen by Absalom or any of his men, because then they would be known as traitors to Absalom, and they didn't want that. So a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim who had a well in his court and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain in it and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimeaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, they have gone over the water brook. And so this is kind of a Rahab thing, a little bit of a moral dilemma. In in a sense, she lied, but in a sense, she was working in tandem with God. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed... He saddled a donkey and arose and went to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Now this has nothing to do with Ahithophel being totally bummed out that his advice wasn't heeded or being prideful. This has everything to do with him going, okay, you've now sunk the ship, dude, and this is over. Because David will now win, and we will all be killed. So Ahithophel is not stupid. This has nothing to do with pride. Now, I think there is a point here that when your advice isn't heeded, don't go home and cry about it. Don't make a scene about it. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Because that is, it's rooted in pride. And when you give advice then just let people do what they're going to do with that advice. But don't expect that your advice is going to always be heeded or that you have to always be listened to and that if you're not, that somehow you're going to be upset about it. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and put that on vibrate, which I thought I did. (laughs) Um, clearly I did that before I know I did I don't know what happened um, but so that's kind of a, a side point there just in the in the sense that 
our advice isn't always heeded, but really that has nothing to do with why Ahithophel killed himself. He just knew that it was over, that he was going to be charged with treason, that he was going to be uh, killed. And so David went to Mahanaim, which is basically uh, a, a really deep, dark pit uh, along the Jabbok River. And he goes there. It's a great hiding place. And Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. Probably another smart move. And this Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Reba of the people of Ammon, Makur, the son of Amiel from Lodibar, and Barzillah, the Gileadite, from Rogalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And so I want to look at four particular things that I think sort of jump out at us in this text. The first is that if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. If God is for you, then it really doesn't matter who is against you. You might have all kinds of enemies. You may have uh, an ex-spouse and you're embattled with them for custody and different things and you are in the right and they are in the wrong and you ought to have custody and you know that. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? You might have a boss who is absolutely giving you the shaft and you're underpaid and you're overworked and you're not given the benefits that you should have and you're being ripped off routinely. But if God is for you, who can be against you? See, this is part of theology that ought to just resonate with you and resound on a daily basis. If God's for me, who can be against me? This is a rhetorical question that needs no answer. The answer is no one. Now you might have a lot of people against you just like David had a lot of people against him. I mean, think about David's life. He has never had anybody in his corner. I mean, from the very beginning, his brothers weren't in his corner. They didn't even invite him to come and to hang out with Samuel and to see who would be the next king. They didn't even bother inviting him. Talk about sibling rivalry. Talk about being the black sheep of the family. Talk about not having respect. But God was with him. And so what happened? He was made the king. He didn't need to get invited. He didn't need the favor of men. It just happened because God was in it. So rather than David running there and demanding his rights and getting all ticked off and screaming and yelling and getting into a confrontation saying, you guys have never liked me and I'm always the one that nobody ever respects and that whole thing and writing letters and, you know. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't need to. 
He's just tending the sheep. And then he gets a phone call. And it's like, hey, guess what? Yeah, I know we didn't invite you, but you're the next king. Really? Serious? Sweet. But then what happens? Like 17 years goes by before he's actually made the king. Have you ever been given a promise? Have you ever really sensed that God is doing something and then it doesn't happen for like 17 minutes? (laughs) Or days? 17 years goes by and he's just faithful. He's dodging spears from Saul. He's running for his life. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul. And I mean, if it's me, I'm taking him out. I mean, God's obviously given me the opportunity. This is perfect. I mean, I'm the king. Let's be done with this. Let's get on with the will of God. And yet he doesn't do that either. Finally, he becomes king. He's king for not very long, and now his son is running him out. This is a guy that understood what it meant to have people not like you. I mean, today somebody gave you a dirty look, and you feel like the world is crashing in on you. Your boss told you that you need to do a better job, and you're ready to commit suicide. You didn't get the raise that you really felt like you deserved. Somebody else got promoted and you didn't. Your mother-in-law buys the other daughter-in-law gifts and she doesn't buy you one. And you are just feeling like you are in the depths of despair. But know this, that if God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. And remember that you are part of his kingdom. Jesus is your king. Not your boss, not your mom or dad, not any authority figure in your life. Jesus is your king. And until you rightly relate to your king, you're going to be totally screwed up in this life. Because you're serving somebody else. You're just totally out of sorts because you're sort of in the kingdom and you believe in the kingdom, and you believe in Jesus, and you want to be saved, and you want to go to heaven, but you're not rightly related to the king in the kingdom. And you've got all kinds of other kings, mainly yourself. And so it just screws you up. If God is for you, which he is, how do you know he's for you? Because he died on the cross. And Paul goes on to say in that very same text, a few verses later, that if God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. Then how shall he not freely give us all things? See, again, this is a rhetorical question. This is like, look, if Jesus took your sin, if Jesus took the wrath of God for you, then quit feeling sorry for yourself. And quit acting like the world is caving in around you and that you've got no hope and you've got no life and that everything just totally stinks. And God's saying, look, I'm for you. Who can be against you? No one. Absolutely no one can. And you've got to understand that. You've got to have that undergirding everything in your life. Otherwise... The world is falling apart. This life does suck. It is totally a bummer. 
But when Jesus is your king and you realize he's in control, like holy smokes, he's in control. That means this isn't a bad economy. This is his economy. He's in charge. I'm not working for this horrible boss. I'm not working for the man. I'm working for my king. I'm not doing these dishes for unappreciative family members. I'm doing them for the king. I'm serving Jesus. And he's for me. He died on the cross for my sin. He loves me. He's not against me. No one's against me in comparison to that. A second thing that we learn out of this is that bitterness will destroy you. What do I mean? Ahithophel was bitter at David for David's affair with his granddaughter Bathsheba. He was totally incensed and he was on a mission to make David pay for that. And what happens? He sides with Absalom. He uses Absalom as his little puppet to destroy David. And you guys, if you don't deal with bitterness in your heart, it will destroy you. It will kill you. It will eat you up. And the person you're bitter at will not be the worst for it. You will. You will be the one who pays the price. That's why Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. That there's this sense where when you are in a place of bitterness, that you're putting yourself outside the work of Christ. And if you have bitterness tonight, you've got to deal with that. You've got to get that out. You've got to give it away. And even if that person isn't remorseful or isn't sorry or hasn't confessed it or repented of it, you've got to deal with it in your own heart. Because right now what's happening is that sin that was done against you is now becoming sin in your life. And so you're taking a sin that was done against you and now you're perpetuating that sin because you're bitter and you're angry about it and you've got to deal with it. And if you don't, it will eat you alive like it did Ahithophel. A third thing, third thing that kind of jumps out at me is found in verse 23 of chapter 17 where it says, Now Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed. He saddled a donkey, arose, went to his home, to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died and he was buried in his father's tomb. It's possible, men, I'm, I'm talking to you. It's possible to have your house in order but for your family to be in chaos. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that Ahithophel went and he put other people in charge. He found some people to manage the affairs of his household, and then he went and hanged himself. And so he got all of his ducks in a row. He got people to do what needed to be done, but the reality of it was is that he was a coward. And some of you men, you've got your household in order. What I mean by that is you have a job, you're responsible, maybe you're even consistently bringing your family to church, but you're not leading your homes. You're, you're not leading your family to Jesus. See, that's what Ahithophel did. He got his family in order. He, he got things taken care of. He, he was bringing home the bacon, so to speak, which is what a lot of men think is the end all. If I'm providing for my family, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's not good enough. 
You need to lead your families to Jesus. You need to be the leader of your home. You need to be having yourself under the covering and headship of Jesus, who has submitted himself to the Father. And you now submit yourself to him, and your wife, men, will submit unto you if you will get your act together. They will submit to you. Because Jesus is submitting to the Father, and he did it willingly. And now you submit to Jesus willingly. And until you do that, your house might look like it's in order, but it's not. It's not in order at all. Yeah, you're bringing home the money, and you've got a nice house, and you've got a couple cars, and things look good. But your home is in chaos if you aren't rightly related to Jesus. It's not in order. And until you get that right, your wife won't respect you. Your kids won't love your God because they don't see it in your life. You can talk about it all you want. You can bring them to church and have somebody else tell them about Jesus. But until you do it and there's consistency, then what you are is a hypocrite. And your kids won't respect you for that. And neither will your wife. And if you let that continue to go on, men, what will happen is your wife won't respect you. She won't honor you. She'll talk badly about you. And you're saying, man, why does she nag me all the time? And why doesn't she respect me? And why doesn't she think I can do things? She doesn't encourage me. She doesn't honor me. Look, all of those words that you're saying, let them be a mirror to point back to you and to say that you have failed your family. That's why that's happening. Because you aren't rightly related to Jesus, your king. And until you are, your family's in chaos. Ahithophel got his family in order, but in reality, he was a coward. Guys, God hasn't called us to be cowards. God has called us to be men. He's called us to be men who man up, who take responsibility, who do what we're called to do, who love Jesus with all of our hearts, who are emotional, who are compassionate, who love life to the fullest. Don't allow the world to tell you what a man looks like because they're wrong. Don't define yourself by cars going around in a circle or by how big of a deer you can shoot or by how big of a stupid truck you drive or anything like that. Do not define yourself by that. You're better than that. And Jesus has way more for you than that. And you know it. And the mediocrity has got to stop. And it'll all start if you'll start to love Jesus. That's what you need to do above everything else. Forget it all. Get in line with Jesus. And let him capture your heart. And then lead your family to him. Change everything for you. A fourth thing is that the wisdom of men is no match for the providence of God. As we've sort of alluded to, I kind of robbed myself of this point a little bit. But the, the wisdom of men here in this text is amazing. Ahithophel was way wiser in his counsel than Hushai. 
That's what they should have done. They should have listened to Ahithophel from a human perspective. But as we saw in verse 14 of chapter 17, the Lord had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. The Lord had purpose to do that. So although the wisdom of men was superior in this case, although the wisdom of men was... we got to get the cell phones under control. Seriously. <laughs> I can't say anything tonight because of mine, but we, we got to get them under control. The other day, the dude that ran back and forth in here and his phone went off like three times. Yeah, it's, it's out of control. Um, the wisdom of men is no match for the providence of God. And you guys, you need to understand something. Is that God's will will come to pass. God's will will come to pass. Think about that for a second. Think about all the things that you're worried about right now. Think about all the things that you're scrambling around, that you're trying to figure out, that you are hoping will happen for you. All the phone calls you're making, all of the stress, all of the worry, all of the sleepless nights. And then think about the fact that God's will will come to pass. His will. Doesn't mean we sit around and do nothing. Doesn't mean you make, don't make the phone calls doesn't mean you don't do your due diligence, but it does mean that you leave it there. Some of you are losing your homes. Some of you have lost jobs and you can't find another one. Some of you are in relational struggle. Some of you are in custody disputes and you are absolutely beside yourself trying to get all of these things worked out and figured out and you're going to make it happen. Here's the thing. What does David do here? What do we read that David does? Well, the only thing I see David doing is something really stupid. And that's setting up his military camp in the middle of a field. That's the only thing we really see David doing. I think David had just learned, totally learned, that, hey, I've made it this far. I've had a lot of people against me, but God's hand is upon me. His providence will rule the day. His providence. His will will come to pass. No matter what happens, no matter how bleak it seems, no matter how ridiculous it looks, his will will come to pass. And see, God's hand was on David because Jesus would come through the line and the lineage of David. God was protecting the Messiah. God was protecting his plan of redemption. And there was nothing that anybody could do to thwart it. You guys, you are part of Jesus' plan of redemption. You're part of that. You're part of his kingdom. You're part of his ultimate plan. And nothing, nothing can get in the way of that. His providential hand will always win. The wisdom of men, no matter what people are saying to you, no matter what threats you've been given, and you think, I'm through, it's over with. You know what they said do you know what's happening? Do you know what's coming down? I'm, a, I'm out. It's over. And God's sitting there going, yep, yep. I'm totally helpless to do anything for you now. Because somebody said that your wages are going to get cut. Yep, yep. I'm completely impotent 
to work in your life because somebody called you and said they don't like you anymore. I, it's, oh, you, you might as well get a gun and just finish it. I mean, is, really? Is that what Jesus is saying to you? He's brought you this far by his providence. He will finish the work he started in you. Don't sweat the details. Now, that doesn't mean you sit and do nothing. It means you do what's in your power to do and then let him take care of the rest. Just leave it in his hands. Don't ruin your family over it. Don't waste your life. Don't lose sleep. Don't quit coming to church. Don't quit reading your Bible. Don't quit praying. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'm not going to pray anymore. I tried that and God's not listening. He doesn't do anything that I ask him to do. Nothing's working out. Come on, just trust Jesus. He's got your best interests in mind. And like the Proverbs say, if you faint in the day of adversity, you're not a soldier. You're not a soldier. If you faint when things are difficult, you're just proving that, that really what you wanted was someone to make life easy for you. And that's not what we signed up for. What we signed up for is to make Jesus our king. To become part of something much bigger than ourselves. To be part of his plan of redemption. To be part of his kingdom that's being set up on the earth. That's what you signed up for. And when you signed up to be a soldier, things are going to be tough. Things are going to be difficult. Things are going to get extremely hard at times. But it's part of it. And you just know, my God's going to take care of it. He will. He promises. I know it. I'm trusting in that. Don't give up now. He's taking you too far for that. That's what we learn. That's what we learn in this section. That when God's hand is upon you, don't even worry. And God's hand is upon you, you guys. He's redeemed you. He's called you. He's placed you into his kingdom. You're a citizen of the king. He's going to work it out. He's going to take care of you. That's his promise to you. Let's stand and pray together. Father, what a, what a fun text, Lord. What, what a great time that, that I had studying God, that I've had teaching. Lord, I, I just pray that we would make application of these truths. Lord, I want to pray specifically for those that are going through hard times, that, Lord, tonight they would just receive your providence, Lord. They would receive the fact that you're sovereign and that, Lord, whatever is happening is allowed by you and you are going to work it out for your glory and for the good of the person, Lord. You're in control, God. We're your citizens. You're our king. Lord, I want to pray for the men right now. And God, I, I don't mean to be harsh. God, I don't mean to be blatantly rude or anything like that, God. But what I do want to be is passionate, Lord, for the men in this church. God, I'm so thankful for what you're doing in men's lives. God, I'm so thankful that men are manning up and they're taking responsibility. And God, I pray that it would be happening more and more and more. And God, I pray that it would start a revival in this church and in this city. 
God, that we would no longer abdicate our roles to our wives, but God, we would lead and we would direct according to your call and your plan. And so, Lord, I pray that that the charge to men, Lord, that you would bring the conviction, God, that it wouldn't be condemnation, Lord, it would be conviction that would drive us to you. And that, Jesus, you would embolden the men in this church, in this city, that, God, you would empower us, God, make us passionate for you above all things. God, if we were as passionate about you as we were about any number of other things, God, we could set this city on fire for you. God, capture the men in this room, in this church, in this city, God, and set them on mission for you. God, that's our prayer. God, that's what we want. May you be glorified, God. May you be exalted. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things for your fame and in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, you may do so at our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.